Welcome to installment number 317 of Sefer Mitzvahs from the Rambam. Today's portion contains two prohibitions, both applying to the Bezdin, the Jewish court, cases in which they are prohibited from inflicting punishment. Prohibition number 294 is that they are prohibited from punishing someone who performed the prohibition by, uh, as a result of duress or force. And prohibition number 290 is that they are not allowed to inflict punishment based only on circumstantial evidence. Prohibition 294 regards the case of, of Inus. Inus refers to somebody who was forced to do something. According to Torah law, a person can be punished only if they did something willingly. But if they were forced to do something, they may not be punished. And the prohibition not to punish such a, such a person is the Prohibition 294. It's derived from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22, which discusses different cases involving rape. Here it is speaking about a, a woman who is betrothed, engaged, which according to Torah law means she is already married. And relations with her would involve the death penalty for both parties involved since it is an adulterous relationship. However, in this case, the woman was not a willing participant. She was raped. And since she was out in a field and it was impossible for her to scream for help, the Torah rules that the man is put to death as a rapist since he has had relations with a married woman, since even though she is called a naira marosa, that she is only betrothed, meaning she is only engaged, so to speak, she is not yet fully married to her husband, but nevertheless, after the nisuyan, after she has been has gone through the Kedushin process, she is considered married in Torah law, and he, he is subject to death. However, the Torah says in verse 27 in that chapter, that to the, to the girl, you are not to do anything. She is not to be punished whatsoever. And we see from this verse, that since she was forced, she was onus, therefore she does not, she does not get punished in any way. And the Rambam learns from here that the same thing applies to any commandment, that any mitzvah or any, any prohibition which a person is forced to transgress upon, they are exempt from any punishment. And just as in the case of this girl, the Jewish court has commanded, do not inflict any punishment, so too in any case where the person was forced, the Jewish court may not inflict punishment. And as the Rambam quotes the general statement from the tractate Sanhedrin, Onus Rachmana Patre, that in the case of force, of Onus, Rachmana Hashem, in the Torah, Patre declared the person exempt. And this, the Gemara in Sanhedrin quotes this verse, that do not do anything to the girl. And from here we learn in general that in any case of force, one is not punished. The Rambam in Hilchas Yaseida Teira, in the beginning of Mishnah Teira, carries this even further. There are certain commandments which we are commanded not to transgress, even in the case where we must give up our life. In general, the law of the Torah is, that if somebody wants us or tries to force us to do a certain prohibition, then the law is, if they should threaten us with our life, we are allowed to do the prohibition in order to save our life. But there are certain sins, mainly the three sins, where we say that the main three, idol worship, or murder, or, or incest, or sexual crimes, that we say, Yarek val yavir, the reverse is true. One must allow oneself to be killed. One must sacrifice one's life rather than transgress these commandments. 
So in these cases, we might think that being forced is not an excuse. Even if someone is forced, one is not allowed to transgress on such a, on such a mitzvah. Nevertheless, in the laws of Yusayidat Teda, the Rambam says that even if someone violated this, and someone transgressed the sin, somebody, for example, worshipped, worshipped idols, instead of giving up their lives, well, if they have done it in public, they are violating the positive commandment of sanctifying God's name and the prohibition of not profaning God's name, of Chil Hashem. However, the Rambam says that one cannot give them the death penalty for worshipping the idol. Since they did not do it by their own free will, they were forced to do so. But nevertheless, as the Alter Rebbe explains in Tanya, that a Jew has within himself a spark of godliness, the Chochmah Nefesh, which has within it the unlimited light of Hashem. And if a person is forced, even forced, to do something which, which denies the existence of God and the oneness of God, and even though it might only appear so, that inwardly the person doesn't believe in this idol, but rather externally just appears as if he's worshipping the idol by bowing down. Nevertheless, the godliness within a Jew, and even the simplest, most uneducated Jew, nevertheless, this godliness within is so strong that the person would unquestionably, in the vast majority of cases, unquestionably give up their life for Hashem. The person could find many excuses for worshipping the idol, or at least appearing to do so, to say that, I'm anyway, don't get the death penalty, and anyway, I'm only forced, and I don't believe, and later on, I'll do twice as many mitzvahs. Nevertheless, this godliness within is so strong that it is simply impossible to deny the existence of Hashem, even in appearance, that it should look as if one is denying the existence of Hashem and the oneness of Hashem. And therefore, in the vast majority of cases, Jews throughout history have given up their lives rather than worship idols. Positive commandment number 290 is a further commandment on the Jewish court. This time not to inflict punishment based on estimation or circumstantial evidence. And as the Rambam says, even if you're almost certain that the act has taken place, as the Rambam gives an example, that you see a person chasing his enemy, and you, the person runs into a house, and it, you run after them into the house, and you see that the person is lying there dying, having been stabbed. And the other person who was chasing him is holding a knife, and both of them are full of blood, and there's no one else in the vicinity. You might think that this is good enough evidence. It's impossible, or almost impossible, that anything else could have happened. How could somebody else have been there, and he's holding the knife, and you saw him chasing him? Nevertheless, the law is that one cannot inflict the death penalty upon the person, since there were not two witnesses that warned him, and two witnesses that saw the act take place, one is forbidden from inflicting punishment. As the Mechilta brings out clearly this case with even further detail, that let's say a person, again you see one person chasing another, and furthermore, the one who was observing warns the one who is chasing, and he says, you should know that the one you're chasing is a Jewish person, and he's a Ben Bris, the son of the, coven, of, of the covenant, and should you, you are forbidden from killing him, and should you kill him, you yourself will be killed. And again, the person hides, into in, hides in a house or some other hidden place and you run after and you find the person on the edge of death having been stabbed and you find him holding a blood holding a knife a knife which is dripping with blood you might again think that this is enough evidence and the person is subject to punishment however the Mechilta concludes Talmud Lamer that the Tzchomish teaches us in the book of Exodus chapter 23 verse 7 an innocent person and a righteous person may not be killed implying that this person is innocent until having been proved beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that he is guilty, and therefore he is still Noki Vatsadik, he is still innocent, and he cannot be killed by the Jewish court. Although the Rambam only ex rarely explains the reasons for commandments in Sefer Mitzvahs, in this case he does. And the Rambam asks, asks, obviously you might think that this is the opposite of justice, that this is not justice. We, hear, we see certainly over here that the one that was holding the bloody knife certainly killed this person. Who are we fooling here? How is it that we can let this person go free? So the Rambam explains that there are many different levels in terms of probability. There is some, there's one extreme where something is extremely, extremely probable, such as this case where the person is holding the bloody knife. There's another extreme on which the event that you think happened is very, very unlikely, that the most likely explanation is something else. And so, too, in between, there are infinite levels of probability, or that perhaps there's a greater level of probability or a less level of probability. The Rambam says once we go into levels of probability and not certainty, then what will happen if we allow this case where it is almost certain and it's almost impossible that something else could have happened, then we are already allowing room for judgment here. Then a court will declare somebody guilty based on a less certain estimation until it could come to even a lower level where it's just the judge's imagination that he thinks that such and such a thing might have happened and that will be sufficient to inflict the death penalty. Therefore, the Torah says that Ambam shut the door on any sort of probability that we cannot judge and we cannot determine which is a sufficient level of probability to inflict a punishment. Only if it is certain with no other explanation, meaning that we have witnesses and they themselves saw the event happen and therefore there's no other explanation. They saw one person, Ruvain, take the knife and kill Shimon and therefore there's no other explanation. We have people before us who say they know how what happened. This is the only case in which we are allowed uh, in which we are allowed to take testimony and punish a person. And you might think in this, uh, what, what will be the result of such a law? You might say, says the Rambam, that we'll let a thousand free, uh, uh, guilty people go free. However, says the Rambam, what will happen? A person that was really a sinner will go free. But a person that was innocent will never be killed. And it is better to acquit a thousand guilty people than to kill even one innocent person. Therefore, in levels of probability, there are many levels, and we wouldn't know where to draw the line. The Torah, therefore, draws the line between certainty and uncertainty. If we have witnesses that are certain that they saw it happen, then we can inflict a punishment. But if it's only a case of estimation and circumstantial evidence, then we cannot. And the Ramam gives two other offshoots of this law. Let's say that we have two witnesses saying that they saw a person do a certain violation for which he is punishable by death. One witness, for example, saw him violating the Shabbos, which is punishable by death, and one saw him worshipping idols, which is punishable by death. So too here, punishment cannot be inflicted, because there are no two witnesses for any single violation. And even if we have two witnesses for a violation of, for one violation, such as two witnesses for idol worship, and one of them says he was worshipping the sun, and the other witness says he was worshipping the moon, again we cannot inflict the punishment, because we do not have two witnesses testifying on the same thing. Only in such a case can punishment be inflicted. 
This law of circumstantial evidence is very relevant also to the status of capital punishment in the Noahide Code. Are non-Jewish courts allowed to inflict the death penalty? Is circumstantial evidence admissible? In general, the Rambam says in Ilchus Malachim that although one witness is sufficient in non-Jewish law, nevertheless it must be an eyewitness. However, this is a point which needs much clarification since a king is allowed to punish based on circumstantial evidence and possibly the non-Jewish courts could inflict punishment on such a basis. The conclusion of the story which the Rambam mentioned that somebody saw a person chasing another one into a house and finding a bloody knife is said in the Talmud relating to Reb Shem ben Shetach that he himself observed such an apparent murder. And after Shem ben Shetach apprehended the person and he told him that since there are no two witnesses says you cannot be put to death. However, Hashem certainly will punish the guilty and let free the righteous. And I have no question whatsoever and no doubt that Hashem will take his revenge on you. And the Talmud records that even before Shem ben Shetach left the house, a snake emerged from a hole in the house and bit the person and poisoned him and he fell dead on the spot. And in the end, justice was done.